this is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Nash Tsunami podcast. This week, we are celebrating our third birthday, which was on April 15th, along with our breaking the 150,000 download barrier a week earlier. Over this weekend, we are releasing five conversations from the main podcast recording session, in which Stephen Harrison, Jorn Schottenberg, Louise Campbell, and I recounted highlights from the last three years on the podcast and in the fatty liver community at large. These serve as companions to the three special conversations we released yesterday, each containing one of the interviews we conducted as part of this week's episode. If the first piece of this episode was light on content and heavy on relationship and memory, the rest of it became a lot more content-centric. After one more brief moment of podcast history, recalling when Louise, Campbell, and Donna Cryer became permanent co-hosts, we turned to consider changes in the fatty liver world over that time. Stephen Harrison's thoughts about the most meaningful events constitute the bulk of this conversation. He starts by discussing how our advances in understanding the value of ways to use non-invasive tests have led the major professional societies to align on guidelines regarding how both primary care and specialists should use tests in initial screening, workup, and patient treatment approaches. Stephen goes on to note that alignment around these tests will help payers develop formulary protocols when drugs are available that do not rely on biopsy, but instead on a more practical and universally recognized solution. As he notes, all this will leave room for far better tests, but it's a good place to start. He goes on to make a second point, that we now understand the limitations of pathology and how artificial intelligence can inform our understanding of disease and how to manage data. And a third point, that we have advanced tremendously in our understanding of drug targets that will work, mentioning specifically FGF21, THR, beta, GLP-1s, with many more to come. He shares a view that the nomenclature discussion has educated us all on the breadth of how people look at the disease, that Nash Tsunami has become an important integrating and educational variable, particularly during the pandemic, and finally, that we've come a long way in clinical trial structure and design. As the conversation winds down, Jorn Schottenberg chimes in from the academic side, as he puts it, to discuss some of the large studies that are lending deeper understanding of the disease executed in common by academia and industry. Before we dive into this conversation, I want to thank the three sponsors of our celebration, Madrigal Pharmaceuticals, Novo Nordisk, and Inventiva Pharma, along with some of the patient advocacy organizations that have been supporters since we started the podcast, notably including the Global Liver Institute, Nash Knowledge, the Fatty Liver Foundation, and the Fatty Liver Alliance. Finally, I want to thank Louise Campbell, who joined me for all three interviews and has been with us since episode four of year one, and Stephen Harrison and Jorn Schottenberg, our two other lead surfers who've been along throughout this three-year journey. In the run-in to ILC that year, we announced that Louise and Donna were going to be joining us as full-time uh, hosts, although sadly, it was a little too much of a grind for Donna's schedule, or it proved over out the next three months. And then we've just kind of, kind of gone forward from there. First, I promised this week I would announce our new permanent surfing lineup. Let me congratulate Louise Campbell on getting her own surfboard and being invited to hang out with the rest of us on a regular weekly basis as a permanent surfer. Louise, thanks for joining us. It's a pleasure, as always. And a pleasure to have you with us. Now, I would like to introduce, I gave a hint on this last week when I said reintroduce, our new permanent surfer. Donna Cryer, the president and CEO of the Global Liver Institute, who joined us for the International Nash Day episode, will be coming aboard now as a permanent surfer. Donna, good afternoon. Good afternoon, or whatever time uh, our listeners are uh, experiencing this. It's true. It's afternoon here as we're taping, but we have no knowledge where it is at the moment you're listening. At this exact moment as we tape, it's something like 2 o'clock in the morning in India. So Donna, do us all a favor, take a couple of minutes and tell folks about yourself. Um, first of all, it is an honor to be uh, included in this group. I've enjoyed uh, the many, I guess this is the 16th uh, 
provocative and informative conversation on the ever-involving ecosystem in uh, non-alcoholic steatohepatitis hepatitis or, or NASH. So I am a patient, patient advocate, and leader of a patient advocacy organization. So uh, the triple threat, you know, I had my first diagnosis when I was 13 and a liver transplant by the time I was in my 20s. So at this point, I have lived more of my life as a patient than not, and even more of it as a liver transplant recipient than uh, than with, you know, original parts. Being able to establish and scale the Global Liver Institute to meet the myriad needs in, uh, in liver health, the myriad needs of liver patients around the world is really, um, you know, a humbling obligation and a privilege. So let's step out of the podcast and step into life in liver space, okay? Stephen, from where we were standing in 2020, asking you first, what's happened in the last three years that you wouldn't have expected and what's happened that you would have expected? Stephen Harrison. For me, I just jotted down a couple things today that I thought were at least important in my mind that have evolved over the past 36 months. Number one would be advancement of our understanding of the non-invasive technologies and the diagnostic algorithms that have reached alignment by multiple different societies, whether it's ACE, EASL, AASLD, AGA, we all kind of come to an agreement that sequential testing provides the optimal diagnostic ability for both primary care and endocrine and gastroenterologists to identify the at-risk patients that are most worthy of further workup and potentially treatment. And these algorithms, quite frankly, have done more than people think they've done. As we move towards drug approval, the payers are going to want to look towards a way to identify these at-risk NASH patients as they are likely to go PA to label on the indication, meaning whatever the FDA allows in the label, these payers are going to go prior off to that label. Now, the next question everybody asks is, is a liver biopsy going to be required? And one of the things that I can clearly say has become evident over the past three years and maybe more over the past five years is we don't do liver biopsies for the clinical diagnosis of NASH anymore. I mean, I can count on one hand the number of biopsies I've done this past year. None of them are for the diagnosis of NASH. They're all for a diagnostic dilemma or a situation where I've known two different liver diseases in the same patient and I need to target which disease is worthy of the treatment, right? Is it cholestatic disease and NASH and which one is a bigger player? You know, Bruce Bacon taught me that a long time ago. He said, if you have multiple diseases, you don't necessarily need to treat all of them at the same time. Go after the one that's causing the most trouble first. And for a lot of us, that was hepatitis. To see, we eradicated it, we got it out of the way, and then we could focus on the next thing that was bothering the patient. But, you know, diagnostic dilemmas are really the main reason drug induced liver disease is another one or multiple diseases in the same patient. And so, once that point was made clear, the payer said, okay, well, what kind of test do we fall back on? We will follow the KOL's advice on how to diagnose these patients. And lo and behold, we have four guidance documents that say essentially the same thing. So, there is a roadmap to get people to therapy once that therapy is approved and ready to go without going through a biopsy. Now, while that advancement has been terrific, it certainly left the door wide open for ways to improve on that. It's still a blunt instrument. It's just developing muscle memory, as Ken Cousy will say, to get the message out to those people on the front lines to help them identify these at-risk patients. But we are leaving many behind that will eventually need treatment, and that opens the door for 
better second, third, and fourth generation biomarkers that can improve on the precision and accuracy. And I tell I, my analogy to this, is another military analogy, we would often use eight-digit grid coordinates to train artillery fire on a location. With an eight-digit grid coordinate, I can get within 10 meters of your location. And we see that being unfolded in the Ukraine right now with our targeted HIMARS precision guided munitions. So in NASH, we don't have an eight-digit grid coordinate to diagnose the disease, but we're getting better at it. And this would be work that's done on the epigenetic platform and lots of other platforms that are going to be able to refine and define exactly the type of patient that needs to be treated. So we've come a long way. We have a long way to go. I tell people every day, I'm like an orange construction cone. I'm not where I used to be. I'm not where I want to be. I'm a work in progress. I'm under construction. And I would say that's exactly what's happening in the biomarker field. Number two, we have an understanding of the limitations of pathology and how to improve using things like AI digital pathology. That's really come to the forefront. I'm excited about easel. We're going to hear a lot more about AI digital pathology and how that interplay of unmasking truth relative to drug development may interact and allow us to take the next step with regulatory authorities on modifying our subpart H approvable endpoint. And number three, new targets. My goodness, we've had a wealth of information on new targets. When we first started this conversation, the FGF21 field was just coming into play. We had a couple uh, near misses, if you will, with Peg Belferman. Uh, Some issues came up around developing uh, tachyphylaxis. Since then, we've had great readouts from Efruxafirmin, which is a covalently bonded FGF21, and then Pegosafirmin, which is a glycopegylated FGF21. And there really are great data coming out of that. The THR beta class with resmetarone reporting out two phase threes, maestro naffold one, telling us that this drug is safe and well-tolerated, moves the non-invasive test in a very meaningful way. Data on 180 cirrhotic patients, again, treated for one year, showing safe and movements in a positive positive way on non-invasive tests, not one, but many. And then the Maestro NASH trial reading out positive for both NASH and fibrosis and even a two-point improvement in fibrosis. So I think really all we could have hoped for there. And then the story with the GLP-1s. I mean, we hear this all the time now. There's this huge onslaught of information about treating obesity and diabetes with GLP-1 and GLP-1 analogs, and they are here. We're using them in clinical practice. I use them in clinical practice. They will be meaningful and helpful in our NASH patients, but it's not going to be one size fits all. There's going to be a need for THR betas, for FGF-21s, for combination therapies, on and on and on. So progress made, still more to come. And then a couple more points. The discussion on nomenclature that has been led by Phil Newsom and Mary Ranella has been an eye-opener for me in the field as far as what needs to happen to begin to target the right name for this disease. It's very heterogeneous and, and really understanding the foundation of naming diseases. I've learned a lot there and I've been amazed at how there's been major disagreement on what fatty liver should be called, both from a patient perspective and from a provider perspective. One thing it's done is it's united us on disease awareness campaigns and beginning to get the word out about 
fatty liver disease in whatever form or notion that we want to call it. And then finally, the tsunami uh, has been a, a huge player in the past 36 months, in my mind, for disseminating information about this disease and how we're doing as far as non-invasive tests, how we're doing as far as drug development. And then finally, there's been a big clarity around phase three development plans. What does it take to get a drug approved? Remember when we started the podcast, it was one trial for subpart H and then extend that trial out for outcomes. And we now see the Regenerate trial moving into its 10th year now. It won't be long until we're 10 years there. So we first patient was enrolled in 2016, I believe. Now it's 2023. I mean, seven years into this, it's likely to be 10 years before that study reads out its, its outcome data. So we had to pivot because if you got a drug coming to market that's going to be approved, patients aren't going to want to be subjected to placebo for six, seven, eight, nine, ten years, right? So now we have this optionality to enroll a parallel F4 trial in well-compensated cirrhotics and follow them through. But that opens itself up to questioning about if you don't study it in phase two, do you really want to take a leap of faith in phase three and look at your drug and does it prevent progression of disease? And then we also need to find the Goldilocks patient in that trial, the one that's just right, right? You don't want to take a person that's so early, they're not going to progress in three or two to three years. And you don't want to take a patient that's so far gone that your drug doesn't have any chance of being successful and you won't show a difference between placebo and drugs. So I think we've come a tremendous way, but like anything else, a good experiment opens up lots of new questions that need to be addressed. We've come a long way. We have a long way to go. We are that orange construction cone, but it's good news of great joy for all people relative to Nash in our society today. That was a rather remarkable answer, Stephen. Thank you. Jörn Schattenberg. I fully agree. And I work in the field and know a lot of the details behind it, but I'm impressed by uh, Stephen's oversight and, you know, his the comprehensiveness of, of summarizing that. And, and, and thanks for that, Stephen. You know, my take on this is a little bit more, I think, from the academic side. Even on that end, I think there's a lot of excitement. I mean, there's a New England Journal paper published last year detailing the natural history from the large Nimble Consortium uh, led by Arun Sanyal. And I mean, that speaks to itself. The amount of evidence we're generating even outside of clinical trials. Um, we've been seeing these patients for a long time, couldn't offer anything. We enrolled them in, in cohort studies. There's the EU litmus project and, and there are follow-up projects we're talking about now, screening of the population in, in a research setting. So I think the field accelerated by the opportunities that have been generated through drug companies, but also academia is still ongoing. And, that, and that's the very exciting news for me here as an academic clinician in this And now, back to Roger. We hope you've enjoyed this recording, creating and fostering this podcast over the past three years, and in the process getting to know the fatty liver community, has been one of the most rewarding experiences of my professional life. We all want to express our deepest gratitude to the thousands of you who have downloaded our episodes, and particularly those who have shared your stories or reactions with us over time. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please put them in the review section of the page from which you downloaded this conversation, or send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. Next week, we will be joined by French endocrinologist Cyril Kelsey for a fantastic discussion of the intersections between endocrinology and hepatology, looking at issues ranging from clinical research to care pathways. The Nash Tsunami team is really excited about this discussion. You should be as well. So until then, stay safe, surf on. We'll see you on the podcast. Bye-bye now. <laughs>